Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. All brought to you by the PRTG Network Monitor from Paisler.com. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, I'm joined by Niall Kitson our editor-in-chief. Now, Niall is always out and about talking to very interesting people, uh, which is exactly what he's up to today. So, uh, But we won't be carrying the interview on the uh, programme this week. We'll wait a week or two. But we just wanted to check in with you, Niall, quickly uh, about GDPR and about uh, Zuckerberg appearing in front of the EU and stuff like that. Because everybody's getting hundreds of emails. Are you getting hundreds of emails saying, is it okay to talk to you? Uh, Okay, right. Two separate issues. Okay, so you... You're slightly briefed on Zuckerberg going to the EU, yeah? Well, I, all I know is what I, what I saw on the news and uh, because he was kind of um, uh, doing the live stream. I love the way the EU did as a live stream online. But it just seemed to be the same old Zuckerberg walking in, looking like an alien, as he always does to me. <laughs> and then he said, you know, this company is very important. We tried to do this and this. And then on this occasion, we messed up. And uh, I'm terribly sorry. And then one of the MEPs turned around and went, excuse me, that's like the 17th time since you started the company that you've said sorry. And I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a carbon copy of what happened when he went uh, in front of the House representatives. No, was the House or the Senate? The one, the one that he actually got a grilling at. Exactly. Yeah, he did get that, and he, and he came out with the same answer then. So he's pretty well coached at this stage. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, he was t- trading looks with his uh, for for difficult questions, and I hate the way he did that because he did it in such a smarmy. Ah! kind of a way it would drive you nuts, all right? It's like talking to a teenager, okay? So, yeah, uh, he'd be asked a question that he didn't want to answer and he'd just look at his uh, lawyer and, his, and then he'd look back at the guy and go, yeah, uh, we'll get back to you with that with a more comprehensive answer later. Yeah, and, and they never get back. Exactly. He, he still hasn't got, got back to the crowd in the States, so, I mean, he's not, he's not going to get back to you. No. It. No, 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 no. I would say I have uh, even less trust or credibility in Facebook uh, than I ever did and I didn't have much to begin with, so... <laughs> So there we go. But listen, uh, one of the really good things that is happening this week is that we are on the verge of GDPR uh, coming in and being applicable, uh, which will protect our data and what companies are allowed to do with our data. The downside of this, Niall, is that we're getting floods of emails coming in saying, is it okay to talk to you? What should we do with these? Yeah, okay, right. Here's the thing. GDPR coming in, we're all delighted. We've talked about it quite a bit on the show. We're ready for it. Uh, everybody, everybody should be uh, aware of it at this stage. However, all the people that are sending out these newsletters letters of the variety of, do you mind if we keep talking to you, they actually haven't read the exemptions. And there are quite a few. So if you're somebody that sends out uh, a regular email offer, you know, the, the likes of a Groupon or, or something like that, okay, that, that's fair enough. You know, I mean, that's that's purely for commercial purposes, you don't necessarily need to be on their database. Now, there is a flip side to that. If the email that you're getting actually performs some kind of service, and I'll go through the exemptions now, then they don't actually need to ask you to renew, 
right? So all these emails that people have likely been unsubscribing to, probably you don't need to be sending these notices in the first place. So the exemptions are freedom of expression and information. So if you subscribe to a regular newsletter, that's you. Public access to official documents, fair enough. National ID numbers, which, you know, makes sense for governments to, to store them. Uh, employee data, again, it makes sense for companies to hold on to that, that type of thing. Scientific and historical research, which means that all papers I've been published online, yes, journalists for them, they get to hold on to it. Uh, public interest, um, yep, that, that's fairly straightforward as well. Obligations of secrecy, so, yeah, companies, sort of governments can hold on to their stuff indefinitely, that's fine. Uh, and also churches and religious organizations. So there are actually plenty of, I don't want to say loopholes, but you know, plenty of situations where GDPR just does not apply. And, not them, and most of them make an awful lot of sense. Uh, and top of the list, of course, is newsletters. So if you are getting something and it's primarily information-based, you know, top five headlines of the week, we send one out daily on Tech Central uh, and weekly to our trade, trade readers. And uh, those those are covered. You know, we we don't have to ask for permission again if people want to uh, keep re- keep reading our newsletter. And of course, iOS has a function where you can uh, where you can opt out anytime you want. So there you go. Well, I think it's like anything else. No magic switch is going to be flipped on the 25th of May, but uh, it will certainly improve over the two, three months after that as everybody gets used to what the new rules and regulations are. For me, uh, I'm delighted because it's a really simple way of opting out of tons of newsletters and, and other things that I don't want to hear from anymore. <laughs> or, or, you know, just, just get the iOS mail app. I could do, I could do that as well if I was an Apple person. But anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> Listen, uh, good luck with the interview. I know it's the one that you've been looking forward to doing t- uh, today, and we'll be hearing that in the coming weeks here on Tech Radio. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Now, we all joke about being addicted to our smartphones or tablets or PCs, but are we actually getting to the stage where we can't actually function without being connected to the internet 24-7? I mean, the sight of people walking down the road, looking at Facebook or speaking on video calls to their friends as they're trying to navigate the streets of the city, it's just ridiculous. Tech Connect Live is taking place at the RDS in Dublin next Wednesday, May the 30th, and Smart NI founder Nave Mech Elhattan will be on hand to share some of her ideas on device addiction. She sat down with Niall Kitson over Skype to tell us a little bit more. Okay, Nave, I guess to look at the way we interact with technology these days, it's no longer a, a take it or leave it kind of, um, uh, I guess, almost medium we're talking about at the moment when we talk about how tech savvy people are are being, that we're, we're gone beyond the stage of the, the, um, the enthusiast or the engineer at home to the extent that technology has really gotten a foothold into everybody's lives. And that's not through, it's not entirely through fair means, is it? No, well, I think, you know, if we just take our own personal examples of how we use it, like my world is my phone, like everything from uh, accounts, online banking, uh, my kids diary at school. um, They have this thing called Jotter now where I can see everything. So without my phone, I feel like I've lost my right arm. So it's not just, you know, in in industry and business. It's our personal. It's how we communicate. It's just how we function nowadays you know 
and it comes down to just that one small piece of hardware really and it's and it's getting you know ever smaller ever thinner ever lighter etc um, but that brings with it an interesting um, contradiction in terms really doesn't it that the, that the more we use these connected devices the actual the harder we find it to establish genuine emotional connections with other people Oh, absolutely. And um, I've done quite a bit of research on this, actually. I delivered a, a TEDx talk in November and Stormont actually in Belfast on our online addictions now, our social media addictions. And I I genuinely put my hand up and admit, you know, I am an addict. Um, and it's only through my own self-awareness that I really have thought about you know, when did this happen? When did we allow these devices to creep in to be all consuming? Like, just take a, a very simple example. Out for a family meal, what's the first thing you look at and see is everybody is on their phone. There's no communication. There's no conversation. Everybody is, you know, looking down at their phone or the kids are on their iPads and there's no interaction and nobody's doing this. We're all doing this to ourselves, I might point, point out. But, um, I did actually some research before the talk and uh, looking at, you know, those real life human connections that you talk about. And uh, they were saying that in 2060 in Japan alone, they're predicting a third in the drop of the population because young Japanese men are not having real life relationships. Right. So so people are just getting so cloistered and they feel that their emotional needs are being met just by enjoying these sort of surface level uh, interactions with people. Absolutely. And do you know what? That's only going to get worse when you look at virtual reality now or, you know, any of these apps, all the uh, artificial intelligence that's coming into play, like simple things like Alexa, Alexa, play X, Y, Z, Alexa, do this. Now we're having robots come into our homes. The elderly, and again, I'm going back to to all the Japanese research that's been carried out, is that in elderly care now, uh, the elderly folk are forming relation, emotional relationships with the robots because they're the people whom they are communicating with on a daily basis, not actually real people. And that's something that we're seeing trialed over here in Ireland um, quite successfully at the moment with, uh, with dementia patients. Yeah. So when, when we are looking into sort of the virtual sphere now, which, which is growing, as you say, with virtual and, and augmented reality, how do you see these technologies integrating into our lives? I mean, I think this is one of the great problems with virtual reality, that it hasn't quite found its niche yet beyond gaming and this overarching sense of inevitability about it. Well, I, I actually today have just left uh, a seminar by uh, Dr. He's a clinical scientist, Dr. Cormac McGrath in Belfast City Hospital, and they have developed an app for kids uh, before they have an, an MRI. So basically, it's to take the anxiety out of having an, an MRI scan. And I was sitting there today thinking, I, this is amazing. This is where the, the good stuff happens. They've built this app where it takes the kid on the experience of having an actual MRI done through VR. So for me, that's fantastic. I can see the, the real benefit to that. It's the, the dark side of VR, you know, um, that scares me because people can't define if that's real life or not. And I think this is where the, the, the lines become blurred is because we are developing this technology. We are developing these apps, you know, that people think, well, actually, this is real life. So that's the scary part for me. But for the likes of today to see this this app actually um, 
being talked through, the rationale behind it. It was amazing. So I think VR is huge potential um, for all industries, not just um, obviously healthcare, but in retail to enhance experiences on the way that we consume television, for example. I know a lot of broadcasters now are starting to use VR to enhance the experience. So I can see the benefits and it is mind blowing because it's come on so far in the last 18 months. But the the way that it could be used the dark side of the web is a bit scary. I think there, there very much is that problem of, of disappearing down the rabbit hole when when any sort of new technology comes along. There, there's always somebody finds a way to to misuse or abuse it, whether it's the technology themselves or or the people on the receiving end, if you will. So how do you sort of promote an element of digital literacy, for want of a better term, um, with young people? Not not just sort of spotting the, the danger man around the corner, but realizing that, you know, this is what an actual health relationship looks like yeah well I think you know I am the mother of two young girls and I'm a complete contradiction to because I, I specialize in digital education um, this is what I, I do on a day-to-day basis I've admitted my addiction to my smartphone my kids very 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 rarely get online unless it's through a school application I am absolutely petrified of what is out there for them so I limit their usage and I moderate everything and I think as parents it's our responsibility to monitor uh, monitor what they're watching but also to keep an eye on who else they're chatting with and all of this um and I think like I let my kids watch my TED talk actually and um they were because it was all about them they were the guys that identified mommy you're always on your phone and I thought you know what time is so precious like they're only 10 and 8 now coming and in the click of your finger like they'll be 18 20 and away and I'll have missed those precious moments so now I'm very conscious when I'm with the kids I'm not on my phone of course from time to time there will be you know necessity for work and things like that but at the weekends down in the tools it's copping on to ourselves that you know this time is precious to spend to talk to communicate and my biggest worry out of all of this is that we lose the skill to communicate in conversation in real life communication conversations do you know what i mean well, I think um, one of the things about technology is that it, it does change things, not necessarily for the bad, but for, for the better as well. I mean, the telephone yeah. arguably was a piece of uh, machine, piece of hardware that changed the nature of conversation w- without killing it. Um, and I think smartphones have introduced new vectors of communication. But I think what what is becoming lost in the conversation is the nature of how people communicate and you know some of these ways in which we in which we reach out to each other are they're they're valid but they have different levels of, of depth to them a telephone call isn't nearly as good as a sit down meeting but i'm not sure that sort of um um, that kind of message is getting across in the age of the smartphone where so much of what is there is based on the novelty of giving and receiving a communication from another person that you know apps are designed to deliver a certain emotional hit a certain emotional validation when somebody yeah. you know accepts your friend request or as as is today the Skype request or, or what have you 
Yeah, it's that, it's that sugar-coated high, isn't it? It's like, that's what they say. Our apps are like little sugar-coated sweeties that feed our sugar addiction. You know, it's like that online addiction that when somebody follows you on Twitter or, you know, somebody likes your post on Instagram, you have that immediate, woohoo, they like me. <laughs> but in actual fact, do you know that person? Are they going to have any impact on your life? You know, let's get real here. What is the significance of it? You know, really and truly, unless you know, we, we all live in this. I hate these two words that I'm about to use, but millennial and influence or influencer. And I think we've got carried away with all of this. You know, everything is is plastic. It's superficial. And whilst it's good fun and listen, I am a massive advocate for online communication and the innovation of technology. But I think we, we need to be aware of how much we're letting this seep into our everyday function. And I just think personally, I think we just need to be aware and to, to not be afraid to turn the Wi-Fi off, to not be afraid to put our phones in silence and actually take time out. And one of the things that I am actually going to talk about in the conference in May is about how to change the cultural mindset in digital transformation, because there's two ends to this as well. There, there's me, an addict, absolutely. But there's also still a huge uh, collective of people in that traditional mindset that don't see the benefits. So for me, it's about getting the balance, if that makes sense. So then with you as a as a marketer, how do you approach the problem of digital transformation then where you, where you want to, your audience uh, or your potential marketplace to be um, somewhat sceptical as to what you do to understand what responsible usage looks like without being caught up in sort of the, the hype train of, you know, if you set up an online store, you're going to be selling to people in France and Germany and the US and it's going to happen overnight. Yeah, oh no, well, I would, I would never say that happen overnight. Good luck uh, with that. But no, I, I actually was very fortunate to work with a big um, grocery retailer over in Preston and I delivered a presentation on retail technology. And now this is a big brand and there's five wholesalers in the room and these are all the heads of this particular brand. And my brief was, how do we improve the data that we collect in store to build customer loyalty, to push out more informed, uh, relevant marketing messages to our customers. So I went in and, you know, I talked about some case studies with Amazon Go and, you know, everything's about convenience now. Everything's about efficiency and making it really quick, you know, and it's actually proven that we now have a lower concentration span than goldfish. So we want everything quick. We want it now. So I started to talk about this efficiency whilst capturing data and then I started I put a slide up asking how digitally uh, savvy this particular brand was well they might as well have stared at the brick wall and watched the paint dry they all looked absolutely terrified none of them were really aware of you know how to capture data at the point of sale system how to then take that information and turn that into some really good marketing collateral based on knowing who their customers were and you know we started having this conversation and it actually turned out to be like digital marketing therapy it was like a counseling session and the fear is is that we're and i actually had this conversation with one of the doctors in the um, regarding the health care conference we have in a couple of weeks 
And the fear is, is that you have all of this amazing young generation coming through that are innovative, that are really embracing technology, that are really transforming some sectors. Then you have kind of the middle-aged generation where we were around just when it was starting to come through, but now we've really had to immerse ourselves in it and try and figure out how it works for the good. But then there's that older audience that they don't actually care. They don't, they don't care what impact it have because they're looking to retirement. They're looking for a good package. So how they capture data through their point of sale system sometimes isn't actually that important to them. Like I remember the, the one guy that was chairing the meeting, we were talking about the different social channels and LinkedIn happened to be one. I think it's an amazing channel for business. And he put his two arms out and looked around the room as if to purvey the land. And he says to me, well, <laughs> I don't use it. It's not like I'm going to need a job anytime soon. And I just thought to myself, that's the problem. You know, you have one end of the spectrum where people are all for it, let's do it. And then the other end of the spectrum where this dude didn't understand it, didn't want to understand it, but yet if he embraced it, understood what this could do for his business, because in five years from now, the reality is his uh, distribution unit will all be automated. The staff that are in that factory floor won't be there in five years. So, I was, uh, you know, I was trying to show him and, and explain to him the way that research is, is going what brands are already embracing it and that for me is is having those challenges to sit and talk to those people so that they can see the benefits of it so i guess what's still interesting about that is that people within companies still take that short-termist view that so long as their own personal velocity is chugging along quite nicely um, and they're reaching a sort of a wind-down point in their career, they're not terribly interested in digital transformation or or being a, a visionary in their company, if you will. No, and I absolutely agree with that. To a point, I think if you can get in the room with those people and have a conversation where they see the benefits, the long-term benefits of embracing transformation, and I know these are all the, the, the buzzwords at the minute, but it's so true, like, you have to be agile. You have to be realistic. You know, we had a, a women in tech conference earlier in the year and I interviewed some of the ladies and we were chatting and this girl was like, you know, in two years from my, my job is automated. What do I do? I was like, just don't sit there. I was like, get up. I said, upskill, reskill. I said, do something else. Because the reality of it is, this is coming. It's not going to go away. So for those older folk that are, you know, fair play to them, have worked all their lives, looking forward to, to retirement and all of that, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that they can't get to grips and understand how this can make a, a a better business long term because you know yourself in five years it'll be scary to think about how much this will have uh, changed and dynamic from what we think is already immense the minute you know so I think for me personally if I could sit with those folk and have a good conversation about the long term benefits um, and for them not to be selfish <laughs> I think it would be it would be a good conversation to have and that was Dave McElhatton talking to Niall Kitson. And you can find out more about Tech Connect Live at their website, which is techconnect-live.
www.pwcbusiness.com. That's almost it for our show for this week. The programme is supported by PRTG from Paisler, which monitors your IT infrastructure 24-7 and alerts you to problems before your users even notice. If you want to work smarter, faster and better, check out their system online. It's at www.paisler.com. Remember, you can also get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly new updates and daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie or just listen to our show every week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On to next week for myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Nile, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Thank you.